0: Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we have Kendall Gretsch. As I said, usually, we talk to interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community. She is most certainly an interesting and accomplished member. Three-time Paralympian, seven gold, one silver, one bronze, a triathlete, a cross-country skier, a biathlete, which is cross-country skiing and shooting, and also has a degree in biomedical engineering from Washington University in St. Louis. Kendall, welcome.
1: Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. Now, you had one of the greatest moments of the Tokyo Games. Your finish in the triathlon... I wanna, can we watch this finish? And I wanna figure out a little bit of what was going through your mind as this was happening. So if we can watch the the finish, just the last 20 seconds here.
1: Exactly, the last uh, buildup of an hour race to the last 20 seconds. So.
0: Exactly, so we're talking about a 750 meter swim, a 20K bike ride, followed by 5K run, which you're doing in your racing wheelchair. This is what we're going to is the end of the 5K run sprint. That's, That's what we're seeing right now. Kendall Gretch trying to make Here one last desperate surge. Uh-huh. Warren Parker in the lead for now. Here comes That's the American Kendall Gretch. That's right. Parker holding. Gretch to the outside. Does she have enough real estate? There's that cross country sprint oxygen. Parker and Gretch. Oh, Here comes Kendall nice. Gretch. And at the end, Gretch gets it done for gold. And when
1: I look at that race and then you look at her handler, Dan Tunn run over, this is a team effort. This
0: is her cross-country ski background that I think really gave her that sprinting capability to finish just eking her out one second. What an amazing race. In 3.1 miles, she made up a minute and 20 seconds. Wow. That'll be gut-wrenching for Parker, who sees her quest for gold come up one second short, but it's a silver medal for the Australian. Kendall Gretch her third Paralympic gold medal after two in the winter. Now, Kendall, as you said, this is after an hour. And, and it wasn't like you were in a pack. This wasn't like you sprinted out of the pack to pass her. You caught her and passed her by half a chair length yeah in those last few meters when did you know because she was ranked number one in the world you were ranked number two in the world when did you know that you had a chance to win it did you know when you got off the bike when did you know that morning did when did you know or did you know in that final little sprint that you had a chance to win
1: yeah you know I think so kind of leading all into Tokyo I knew that Lauren was going to be yeah like she was a gold medal favorite and I knew I was going to be chasing her the whole time and so yeah I would you know had this entire extra year with the postponement of the games just to think about like how can I make up the the factor gap so she starts four minutes and four seconds in front of me
0: because she's a higher level injury right yes so
1: she- yeah so she has a higher level injury than i do so for our sport they break it into to two subcategories and the if you have more function which i do i'm um in h2 and i start back 4 minutes and 4 seconds so i just that whole extra year i was going through i looked at every race we had done together and just thinking like okay how can i make up the 4 minutes and 4 seconds and where am i going to find all those little seconds and i knew that it was gonna be really close. And so there are just all these moments along the way where it was like, okay, validation that things are going well, I've kind of planned for this scenario and that it might be possible. And I think I first felt that on the bike when I I was getting splits from our coaches on the bike. And um, so they were telling me each lap of the bike how far back I was. And Lauren's a really strong cyclist. And so I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to even make up time on her. I was just hoping not to lose time. So when I was getting the splits and saw that I was making up time on the bike, I was like, okay, I'm having a really good day. It might be possible to make it up. And then, yeah, same thing. When I got to the run, every lap, I was getting a split and I was making up time, making up time. And then finally I kind of, you know, you start doing the math as much as you can in the middle of a race and you're like, okay, I'm. I think I'm making up enough time per lap where I can act like, it's going to be close. It's going to be a sprint. And yeah, so it was, it was just so cool because that exact finish is what me and my coach had trained for. We were like, okay, if it's a sprint finish, you have to be good at sprinting. And so every single run workout I did leading to Tokyo ended with me doing a sprint finish and just like finishing that way and envisioning that. So, um, yeah, I kind of, kind of love that it ended like that.
0: The sprint, not only was it a sprint finish, but you also had like a crazy little, like little turns on it, you know, so you had the barriers there and you kind of had to hip your chair around. Were you preparing for that in training too?
1: Yeah. So we were lucky enough. So in 2019, we had a test event on the same course. um, And, and they really didn't make that many changes from the test event to our actual actual race in Tokyo and that it it's actually kind of like this steep steeper downhill into a semi sharp turn and when we did that at the test event in 2019 that turn scared me so much cuz i was like you really got to watch your speed and take it at the right angle and and so it's the same thing i like practice turns like that around my neighborhood in Colorado and then when we got there ahead of the event in Tokyo um, we we had a couple days where we could be at the venue practicing in the water and I chose not to do the swim familiarization because I didn't want to risk like getting sick from the water but when we were there for the swim familiarizations I went and I looked at that turn and I talked about it with my coach and figured out okay what's the best line how fast can I take it and really thought about that, knowing that it was going to be a critical part of the race.
0: It worked out to be a really critical part of the race. What was the surface? It looked like it was this green surface. Was that asphalt? Was it AstroTurf? What was it?
1: Yeah, so they, it's, it was carpet. So that was actually another thing that like made it quite difficult as you were coming through this transition in area. And that's actually pretty typical for, for triathlon normally it's a blue carpet um but that's kind of like the signature they have a carpet through transition and um so it actually made it quite difficult because you're instead of going over a hard surface you're going over carpet so it slows you down you have to have a little bit more kind of power to to get through it um and yeah again it was just like something that we knew for and, and thought about how how you could be prepared for that
0: Right. It's a little softer surface, but at the same time, it also carpet has a grain. Oftentimes, like I see this going through through hotels sometimes where, you know, you, you're going down the hotel and all of a sudden you're moving down the hallway and all of a sudden you start moving left or right just because the grain catches the front, your front casters on your wheelchair. And so so, so you're you're factoring. You have to factor that into it's a little bit softer. There's this grain there's a there are the turns it's a downhill and you were what I mean you were what you were 10 meters behind with like 30 meters to go yeah
1: yeah I mean I it was luckily they they had just enough distance in order to make up the time because yeah I needed every single inch of the course um in order to make up make up the time and passer um But yeah, I mean, I think I kind of like once I got through the turns and it was just a solid straight line, you know, at that point, you're kind of just like, okay, put your head down and go as fast as you can. And and I think at that point, too, like I was I was having so much fun in the race. Like I was lucky I was the I went the second day of the triathlon races. So all of my teammates that had raced the first day were able to be in the stands. And they were going just like absolutely crazy every time I went through transition. You know, I'm having a good race, and and so I I recognized at that point I was like, no matter what happens, like this is just going to be cool. It's going to be a cool race. If I pass or if I don't, I'm having so much fun. And I think just having that kind of like peace with the race of regardless of what happened, yeah, I was like, well, why not just go for it and see what happens so um yeah
0: and in Tokyo that had to be a really big deal that you had your friends your teammates in the stands because they're really because of COVID there really weren't people in the stands
1: yeah no the only people that were allowed to be there were like athletes and staff from like within triathlon and so yeah it was definitely not like a full stand but um, yeah, I think my team kind of made up for it. They were, they were quite rowdy. I guess the announcers at some point kept commenting about how, how rowdy the Americans were.
0: <laughs> well, with good reason and with good results, they were rowdy. You missed getting to compete in Rio because you really have been a triathlete. So I knew you more as a, as a cross-country skier because you competed in cross-country skiing before you competed in your first sport of triathlon, yeah, what was it like to go to Tokyo after? Because you'd been the top woman in the world leading into Rio in your classification, but then they didn't have your classification compete, and and then and then to be sort of ranked second going into into Tokyo. What was it like to compete thinking, okay, we had this whole buildup to when I was really great. And now, now I have to sort of hopefully recapture some of that magic that I had before, which obviously you did, but what was it like to be able to get to compete in your first love of triathlon?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that was just so cool for me because yeah, in Rideau, I was, it was tough. Like I enjoyed watching the triathlon as much as I could but I was also really jealous that I wasn't there and I was missing out on on the event and the experience um and so that was hard kind of being on the sidelines and um yeah but I think the other thing that was really cool is in the four years from Rio to Tokyo I guess five years our our sport just grew and changed so much and so Yeah, I think that was exciting. We had new people coming in, people that were coming and transferring from other sports. So they brought in really great experience and just overall, like the whole level and professionalism of paratriathlon increased so much. And um, yeah, so I guess I didn't really see it as like having to kind of like get back into the form that I was in prior to Rio because I was like way beyond that. Um, at that point, it just was like what it took in order to be the best was so much more. And, but yeah, it was, it really was kind of this culmination of the nine years that I've been doing triathlon. And um, yeah, like very, a, a very full circle moment in terms of the people that were there and, um, yeah, I just felt like everything kind of came together to make that happen.
0: So triathlon being your first sport and really swimming was, was your first big sport, right? I mean, this is what you did growing up, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I, I grew up swimming, um, but I would say more just recreationally or, or just like, I didn't know about para sport at all. Um, and so, so yeah, I swam with my neighborhood swim team because that's like, what you did in my neighborhood—you grew up going to swim team, and I swam in high school. My sister swam in high school, um, so I was—I'm a competitive person by nature, and and so I I could compete with myself and kind of push myself. But I was never racing really against anyone else. Like I came in last basically every single race that I did. Um, so yeah, it wasn't until I was in college when I found para sport that really i was able to like fully invest in the sport but yeah i do have a background in swimming
0: right background in swimming and, and born with spina bifida so so you just you don't have the kick you don't have the stability i mean probably missing some of the symmetry to a certain extent just because it's really hard to be symmetrical with a spinal cord injury but is was swimming the foundation of your triathlon like if you're a good swimmer like I I I always look at those people who are great swimmers and go oh yeah okay like triathlon makes sense because you're a great swimmer I was always like petrified of somebody swimming over me or kicking me in the face and all of those things and the swimming part didn't seem like a great place to start because it seemed like a really good way to be really exhausted before you got to do everything else but was swimming the foundation for you or because you're also, I mean, you won off of the run, your your bike sounded like it was great as well. It sounds like you're equally, it sounds like you're pretty strong across all three or is swimming the one?
1: No, I would say, yeah, that's, I, I, I try to be as kind of even across them um, as I can. But I think that it's like, I was a strong enough swimmer. I always say that like in triathlon, I'm like decently good at all three. Like I could never go and do the individual sports. Like I could never just be a swimmer, never cyclist, never just a runner, but I'm pretty decent at all all three. And, um, but yeah, I think having that background in swimming, you're right. You start the triathlon with the swim. And so if that's just something that you're comfortable with, you you do you you don't feel like you're digging yourself into the hole in the first event you're it's almost like, okay, this is a really great way to set myself up and kind of get in into the groove of things before I have to do the bike and the run
0: and that was an open water swim, right?
1: yeah, we were in like a a harbor area and um so yeah, kind of protected, but open water
0: kind of protected, but open water. How did you get into, so from going from being a, a, a neighborhood swimmer, how did you get hooked on the triathlon?
1: Yeah, so when I was in college, um, I it, I was my sophomore year, and I had stopped swimming. I wasn't really exercising at all, um, and I was like, well, I should probably start doing it again, and so I started swimming, and then I actually read an article about someone that was training with their college team um, to go to London and he had CP and, and I just didn't really, I didn't know much about the Paralympics at all. The little that I, I thought I knew, I thought that like you, I thought you had to be a full time wheelchair user every single day. I just... I didn't know and and so I thought I like
0: you walk with crutches though yeah I
1: walk with crutches um, like day to day and so I just thought I was like well I don't use a wheelchair I don't qualify and so I didn't I just didn't get it and so when I saw that you know here's someone that's ambulatory and he has all his limbs he's not missing a limb like that's kind of me I should look into this and So yeah, the summer of after my sophomore year, I found an an adaptive um, swim practice through Great Lakes Adaptive Sports Association uh, in the Chicago area. And they had a swim practice. It was like a full day thing, actually. They had swim practice and then after they had track practice. But I just showed up to go to swim and just see like, okay, let me check out what Parasport is. And while I was there.
0: see if you're any good kind
1: of thing or just like yeah just I guess see what it's all about and um so I was at the swim practice and and the person that was running it she was like hey have you ever been in a racing wheelchair we have track practice right now come over and try it I was like okay and I did that it was really fun and she had actually just started a paratriathlon club in Chicago called dare to try and so after the track practice she, she was like hey well we have triathlon practice twice a week down in the city. We have a camp coming up. I'm going to sign you up for the camp. After the camp, there's a triathlon. We're going to sign you up for the triathlon. And so, so yeah, I went to one swim practice and kind of got signed up to do all of these things. And I just fell in love with it because it was, yeah, it was an area where I could push myself and set new goals and new challenges, but I was also competing and racing against people that it was like a level playing field for once. And, um, yeah, I kind of just fell in love with that.
0: The pushing yourself. Cause it sounds like that is a big part of who you are is being able to push yourself beyond what you've done before. And, and and the race is often the race within is what it sounds like. And this might've started as a swimmer in your neighborhood where you're like, okay, well, I might not beat anybody, but I want to keep improving. Yeah. And that mentality it sounds like it's served you really well though this this idea of of pushing yourself and continuing to get better and being fulfilled that way is that the way it works for you Definitely
1: yeah I mean I think I, I think a lot of endurance athletes are kind of that way of like part of the enjoyment of it is taking on a challenge that seems kind of crazy to begin with and and yeah you're not going to get there in one day or even one year, but it's like these incremental steps that you take along the way to get there. That's really satisfying, and 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 yeah, setting setting really lo- lofty goals that you think might not be possible, but um, I think you kind of get like these glimmer of hopes along the way when you see the progress of like, okay, things are working. I just keep chipping away, chip away.
0: How did that first triathlon go after that camp?
1: Oh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if it was like anything stellar, but but I finished it, and I had so much fun. Um, and yeah, I think as soon as I did that, it was like, okay, how how can I keep doing this? and and yeah, they were so instrumental there to try and in helping me stay in the sport, so I was still in school in St. Louis and so they connected me with an organization there that was able to give me a hand cycle and a racing chair to train with and um one of the coaches in Chicago knew a coach in St. Louis and so I would go and I would train with them and um yeah I was just I was hooked and I wanted to keep doing it um and they made that possible
0: you had a serious major though too in in college I mean biomedical engineering I mean that sounds like you had to work really hard how were you able to juggle this you know budding Paralympic career with with a really challenging major
1: yeah and and I guess by saying like I was continuing to train it was nowhere near the level of like what I'm doing now but it was every opportunity that I had given kind of my circumstances of you know being a, like at that point my major in school that was my first priority but on the weekends i was like going out and you know driving to go train with this group or you know late at night i would go and i would train with them and so i found found moments within the week to tr- train <laughs> it wasn't anything like glamorous or or wasn't serious training but it was just like enough to kind of keep me keep me in it and keep me active
0: keep you in it and keep you active but you were coming around at the beginning of the sport too and what you won three world championships right
1: yeah and and I think that's where things are so different like you know I said earlier that the sport had progressed and I think that I came in at a time where yeah people weren't weren't I guess training like it at the level we are now and um, or or just even like simple rule changes like the, when I first started we didn't have the subcategories within the wheelchair division and so so that was like a big thing that changed um, you know as the sport progressed and so um, yeah just as you have more athletes getting involved you can kind of fine-tune the sport and and really make it more more fair for everyone competing
0: how then going from Rio so you so you're approaching Rio you learned that your classification is not going to be in it and then how did you end up in cross country skiing
1: yeah that was again it was kind of like right place right time scenario um So yeah, I I had just graduated college and I was moving up to Madison, Wisconsin. Um, And when I was moving up there, the group that I was training with for triathlon, they said, hey, there's this adaptive ski program in Madison, you know, you should check it out and, you know, you might be interested. And and I was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds fun. Like another sport I can try and I'll I'll look into it. Um, And then, then yeah, like kind of later, in that same year, they made the announcements of what categories were going to be included in Rio and mine wasn't. So then I was like, okay, maybe I should really look into this cross-country thing. And, um, the director for the Nordic program, he reached out and, and said, Hey, you know, you no longer have a medal opportunity in triathlon. Do you want to try Nordic skiing? It's an endurance sport, just like triathlon. And, you know, invited me out to go to a camp and and try some things out um and and yeah it was kind of the same thing i i went to the camp and and loved it and um was able to to connect with this group in madison to keep skiing and connect with one of our development coaches for nordic that was living she lives in minnesota and um my sister was living there so i would drive out and stay with my sister on the weekends and ski with the coach like all day um yeah so but again it was like I don't know if I would have gotten into Nordic if if all of those things didn't line up correctly
0: what was appealing to you about Nordic skiing is it the endurance part or what what really is appealing
1: yeah I think so I mean I think triathlon and Nordic are are similar to me in that one I love that they're outside So you're, you're getting to travel the world. And as you're racing, you're exploring the places that you're actually traveling to. You're not just staring at the bottom of the pool as you're going. (laughs) Um, And so I love that aspect of it. And then, yeah, just the endurance part of, um, yeah, just those, the challenge of it, the challenge of the sport.
0: What is, what does the challenge mean for you? I mean, it's so easy from the outside to see what that challenge might be. But for you, what's that challenge that really just sort of grips you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. I think it's there's some thing that's somewhat satisfying about, like, not being great at something like the first time you get on skis, you know, you're like trying to turn on a Nordic ski and, and you just fall over like I still fall over all the time um, when I'm skiing and practicing and we practice maneuvering so much and and like but i can you
0: describe the nordic ski sorry just as to keep paint a picture for people like what ski that you ski in is
1: yeah so you're i'm sitting we call it a like a bucket or a sit ski i'm kneeling in it i kind of have my knees my lower legs tucked back behind me uh and like knees kind of forward Um, and then, yeah, you have your two ski poles skiing at the same time, and then the skis are fixed, two of them fixed together. And so when you're turning you can imagine that if you're a stand skier, you just pick up your foot and you kind of ski around a turn. Whereas in a sit ski, your, your skis are fixed forward. So you kind of have to find the right balance yeah you kind of have to like lean over and try and get up on one ski and balance and turn around the around the corner and um yeah finding finding that balance point is quite tricky to do um when when yeah nordic skis aren't they don't have an edge like an alpine ski so you're, they're not really meant to be on an edge but we we do it no,
0: no not at all and and in some ways i mean it's it's evolved it almost feels like it started from like your cafeteria chair kind of thing with like your feet out in front of you with two skis attached to the bottom of it that go in these these tracks or you don't have to stay in the tracks. And, and, And so that doesn't, yours is obviously way more streamlined and carbon fiber and lighter and higher performance, but that's kind of what it started with. And you try to think about, maneuvering this thing around the turns. I mean, I do a little bit of Nordic skiing and the turns are miserable because yeah. <laughs> go around and then and then all of a sudden I'm like, I've gone to, a, I've, I've ground to a halt and then the turn leads to a hill. And so then I have no momentum going up the hill and it's just, it can be brutal. So to watch you guys, to watch some of the videos of what you guys do going around the turns, getting it up on one one edge. So this is, there's no articulation. everything's everything's flat and you have Mm -hmm. to put it up on edge and balance on top of it while the ski is canted in it's really amazing what you do but it's all about going faster and maintaining momentum right
1: yeah yeah it's like it's a terrifying thing when you first learn I think because the only way you can get up on edge is if you're going fast and so you're so hesitant when you begin it's like this learning process where you're you're so timid, and every single time you go go through a turn, you're like, "Oh, I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall. But you're never going to be able to get up on an edge. And so you almost have to have this mind shift of like, I'm just gonna go for it, and I'm gonna like go as fast as I can, and I'm probably gonna fall over, and I don't care if I fall over, but that's the only way I'm going to learn. And you yeah, you kind of have to just like, put yourself in the mindset of like, I'm about to fall a
0: lot. (laughs) It's like, I mean, most people who are watching probably had learned how to ride a bike, but they probably don't remember learning how to ride a bike.
1: Yeah. But
0: you thought about it as an adult, like learning how to ride a bike is probably very similar to making a turn on this cross-country ski where, you know, as a kid, yeah, you fall over, but you fall all the time as a kid and you don't have all that far to fall.
1: Right. (laughs) Well, luckily we are pretty low to the ground because we're sitting so, and snow is, can be soft. It it can also not be soft, but.
0: (laughs) But you can also be stuck. You can fall and fall softer in, inside of the track and then you're stuck and you can't get back up and (laughs) you need a tow truck and all those things. Not that you really have a tow truck, but.
1: Yeah. And I think kind of back to your question about like, what, what is it in the challenge and and i think yeah like i i've had all these really great examples of teammates that are are doing all these things like i've teammates that maneuver around these corners so smoothly and expertly and so you you kind of you get that seed in your mind of like okay it's possible like i i can get there if i just kind of like put in the work and and i think that's the same thing with with triathlon and and the speed of it, it's like, okay, other people are doing this. They're going just as fast. Like, I just have to figure out how to get there. How do I figure out to get faster? Um, But yeah, once I know it's possible, it's like, I'm all in and figuring it out.
0: You have to have a good engine, right? I mean, you are an endurance sport athlete, but you're also going from cross-country skiing and biathlon. And we've got to talk about biathlon because it sounds like you're a pretty good shooter too. (laughs) And so cross country yeah. skiing, biathlon, and then going into triathlon, which is then three different sports. Yeah. So you are training for five different sports and there's not really a break more than a couple of weeks in your season. What is it yeah. like for you to be in season all the time?
1: Yeah, I think, I think you have to accept that like, you're not going to be great all season. And, and so, yeah, I'm kind of in it right now in the triathlon season where I actually, I took a, a kind of the longest break I ever have after Beijing. And, and, and so, you you know, fitness dropped really low and, but, but kind of accepting that, like, that's okay for right now. Like I, I don't have to be in top form for the first race of the year or the second race of the year, really the only race of the year that matters is the final one. Like if it's the Paralympics or if it's the world championship race, you know, kind of whatever your key races for the year. Um, and so, yeah, you kind of have to accept that like a lot of the season you're not gonna feel great and you're like building towards feeling great. And especially in the transition between the two seasons it I think it can be tough because yeah pretty much the whole year like you're the cardio fitness is there like you're we're very cardiovascularly fit it's just that sport specific strength that you're kind of building up and so figuring out how to how to kind of limit yourself or, or read yourself in that like okay feels like if I were just looking at my heart rate feels like I should be able to go faster but my muscles are just not there yet. And if I push myself more, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to be sore for like a week. And, um, yeah, so kind of knowing, knowing that and finding the right balance. And, um, yeah, I mean, my, my two coaches work really well together and they, they kind of manage that transition and really well for me and, um, make sure that I'm not like, Jumping in too quickly between the two seasons as well. Um, yeah, but I've I've had practice now that I've done it multiple seasons in a row.
0: Patience is the hardest thing for an athlete. And what you're saying is you put yourself in a position where you have to be super patient and believe that it's all going to build to the final race, which is the most important race are you really good at patience?
1: No, I would say, so like you're you're accurate that you do have to have patience and just like the self-belief that things are going to come around. Um, But I think that's where you need like a really sound coach and, you know, like a sports psychologist and a lot of people to kind of talk you out and yeah, just like convince yourself that, okay, like, it's okay that you're not where you want to be. It's actually unreasonable for you to be there. And like, let's take a step back and recognize that. And and so, yeah, I I try to be patient and like logically I know that, no, I shouldn't, like I'm not gonna be where I was at my peak form in Tokyo, Um, but it's still hard where like you're showing up to practice every day. And you're like, why am I just not as fast as I was? Like, I know I should be faster. Um, But then, yeah, along the way you do, you kind of get these markers where it's like, okay, this was like a good workout. I can, I can see the progress. And so you kind of hopefully string more and more of those together to finally get to that, that peak form.
0: So the coaches and the sports psychologists are the ones who are providing the rational thought and you as the athlete are a little bit less rational is that (laughs) is that fair I
1: would yeah I would say so I try to be rational in general but uh but I'm not great at it a lot of times so yeah you need the voice of reason from an outside perspective I think but but also I think it's good that like it's again a balance like you want to have a little bit of like that irrational voice, because that's like, that's what's pushing you. That means that you care, like you're not OK with just settling with where you're at and that, you know, like, OK, i I've got work to do. And and so, yeah, it's, it's a balance between the two for sure.
0: That's your dreamer. Your irrational voice is the yeah. dreamer. We can yeah. do the impossible. Like, let's go. Let's do it what could because being a two sport athlete especially now is is fairly irrational just because you really don't have any downtime and and it is it's just really hard it, people are really good and it's hard for you to be successful so do you enjoy that part of it that part of the the really hard training the really hard like most people can't do it is that part of the appeal for you too
1: um I think I think part of it is well one I really hate training on a bike trainer and so the thought of having to be in a bike trainer all winter long is is like miserable for me so I think that yeah it's hard because you're you're kind of on or in a season more than most people are but I think I think there's a couple factors that make it doable I think one being a sitting athlete like I I think on the cross-country side there's there's just less technique to learn you don't have skate and classic and you know, within that there's all the different techniques. And so for us, it's like you're double pulling. That's what you got. So, <laughs> um, I think that that makes it a little bit more manageable. I, and I think it's also probably pretty good. Like if you're just using your arms, if you're only doing one thing over and over and over again, like the risk of injury, I think is higher. So kind of adding in the variety, it, it adds longevity and, and, and mental longevity too because you're changing it up and it's fresh and kind of as you get burnt out on one it's like okay well now it's time to switch over so um it's hard but i think i think it's like in reality i think it's maybe a little less hard than than what it looks like on paper
0: it's i mean I I was a two-sport athlete as well so i i appreciate what you're doing and but it also was interesting i mean like for me oftentimes Leaving ski season, like Boston Marathon, was often one of my my first long run. Like get to see everybody, your juices flowing. You're like, here, I'm here. No, I'm not. No, I'm not fit. I'm not going to do well. But I'm excited to see everybody, and this is going to remind me to get going. And yeah, yeah, I think there there is something about the playing aspect that you said too that the idea of of being on your trainer for three hours watching a movie or something like that and pedaling along on your bike, it gets really old really quickly.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That does. It does not appeal to me at all. I've, I've done it before. And yeah, so I, I much rather be out skiing and, you know, skiing in the mountains and traveling and, um, yeah, it, and it, I think it just the mental freshness that you have, I think is worth it.
0: Well, mental freshness, it's interesting that you say that because you had Tokyo with this absolutely spectacular finish in Tokyo, uh, which you have to be on top of the world, finishing, moving forward. And then you went quickly into the Nordic season. In Nordic, not only did you have Paralympics, you had world championships in January. Then you had the Paralympics in March. How are you doing mentally i mean the mental fatigue can be much worse than the physical fatigue
1: totally i think that was that was the hardest part like when i got to the end when beijing was over i i was just like mentally exhausted from it and and i tried to get ahead of it like after tokyo i i really did take like a solid break where it was like I'm not going to do anything unless it's like I want to go out and ride my bike because it's nice outside, um, and and yeah, so I I took it was probably about two weeks or so where I I took off and um before kind of getting back into things for the Nordic season, um, but I think it was especially tough because of COVID, like the restrictions that we had for the winter um, leading into Beijing, just like trying to avoid, I mean, at that time, like life was kind of going back to normal for people, um, you know, but you had this like huge wave of COVID from Omicron and and I think rightfully so, the rest of the world was like, well, you know, I'm vaccinated and I feel comfortable and safe going out. But, you know, we were, still very 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 strict and so having to like really isolate and having that paranoia of like I cannot get covid at all like the risk yeah of-
0: respiratory issue for you is a really big deal
1: yeah there there's that aspect of it the respiratory issue but even like if you know if you test positive then you get knocked out of of traveling and then you can't go to a competition you can't participate in that and you know, getting that race experience is so important and, or just the on snow experience. And, um, yeah. And then like before Beijing, there was this really long window where if you tested positive and that you were not getting on the plane to fly over to Beijing. So I think that fear of, of having to isolate and, and, yeah just like the paranoia around that really added to the mental strain um not saying that it would have been easy if if like that wasn't the case and we weren't living in COVID times but um that that I think was the hardest part for me too
0: in addition to balancing your sports are you are you still working as well working in your field
1: no I'm not (laughs) I I did for a bit and uh yeah I kind of was I like eased my way out I was working full time and then I was like well maybe I'll I'll do like part-time and so then I started doing part-time and then and then it just like quickly became evident that 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 was not going to be sustainable and um so yeah I'm not not working anymore
0: how does that fit with what you're doing with your career in sports do you do you have a timeline of how long you want to compete before you want to go back to you know to to what you worked on in college right to what you prepared for
1: yeah um i think i think it's definitely like a factor that plays into to how long i'm going to be doing sport because i know that i have this other area where I'm really interested in pursuing and, um, you know, kind of building that career and outside of sport. Um,
0: and can you describe what you do? Like what, what that area, because biomedical engineering in, in some ways, it sounds super, super impressive, but I don't know exactly what it means.
1: Yeah. Well, so I guess, um, that's what I studied in college. The job that I had was basically unrelated. Um, So I worked for a software company that makes all of the software um, that hospitals use. So hospitals, outpatient. um, Yeah, if you have like a MyChart where you can like log in online and see your results, my company made that software. Um, And so I worked for them doing like tech support stuff. I worked with a number of big hospital systems and kind of supporting their IT teams. Yeah, so probably very boring (laughs) to most people, but I really enjoyed the work and um, and and yeah, I don't know if that's exactly what I'll go back to when I'm done, but um, but just yeah, the idea of of kind of having more of like that mental challenge I is is something that I'm looking forward to. Um, but I also recognize that by competing in sport, it, it does have somewhat a timeline on it in terms of you know your age and ability to be, to be competitive and so i want to take advantage of that while i can and it's a unique opportunity to travel the world and compete um so yeah i think as long as i'm i don't have like a set date of like okay i'm going through this games and then i'm done um but as long as i'm enjoying it and um kind of love the day to day training and the competing I, i'm going to stick with it and then eventually get back to to more of a <laughs> a regular typical job
0: more of a grown-up life kind of thing sometimes your sports is there one of because you have five different events effectively five different sports effectively that you do is one more challenging than the other because it's also interesting that you're talking about the mental part of 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 what you're doing outside of sport but there's a lot of the mental part of what you're doing in sport too I would imagine so is one more challenging than the other
1: I think for me the hardest the hardest one to enjoy would be the bike (laughs) I'm like learning to learning to enjoy being on my bike and riding my bike um
0: why is that
1: I don't know I think maybe it's it's the longest part of the triathlon and so it just seems like so disproportionately long
0: but it's it's long part but it's also it's a sprint i mean you you averaged almost 21 miles an hour in tokyo so 20 point 20 and two-thirds miles an hour in tokyo so you were going fast yeah but it was 12 and a half miles so 35 minutes almost 36 minutes right but it's so it's like a really long effectively almost like a sprint for a long time is that yeah. The,
1: yeah. yeah the name is a bit of a misnomer like the distance that we compete in for triathlon they call it a sprint distance but like the whole thing takes over an hour like no way is that a sprint <laughs> so there is right. some tasting that's going on for sure like you, you're not going all out by any means for the whole no. thing um, but
0: you're trying to stay just below like red line kind of yeah. thing I mean yeah. in, in a painful painful threshold right there
1: Yes. Yeah. It's definitely. I mean, and that's part of it is like finding that edge and finding yeah, how long can you kind of stay in that that spot where things aren't comfortable and you're hurting and and um yeah, that's uh, again it's like another aspect that's really interesting to play out is finding that line.
0: Finding that because there's not much of anything to distract you it seems like I mean because with the bike the the sort of technical aspect of being on a bike is you you pedal and then you keep pedaling so I think that's
1: maybe why I don't like the bike as much is like there are less things to distract you where you know swimming and in the racing chair they're both really really technical and so you're you're trying to think about like okay your stroke and your form and there's maybe a cue that you can have to think about so so yeah I tend to like bike courses that we have that are like hilly or maybe there is more technical components because for me it's breaking up the that bike into to chunks and so you can kind of have that mental break of like okay I'm not going to look at this whole 20k bike ride at once I'm going to look at it you know 1k at a time because the segments I can break it into
0: that whole racing on like uh, you know they, they've had some races where you where like you know like airports or whatever you know like on the tarmac kind of thing where you can see forever like that would be absolutely the worst possible race for you. itself yes, like.
1: <laughs> that would be terrible. We have a couple of races where we're actually on an F one course, and and those are a little bit like not quite enough going on for me because they're pretty flat and you're just like looping around. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you, you're going like 120 miles an hour, they're very technical, but on a bike, they're not as exciting.
0: <laughs> no, those turns down to significant. That's interesting because as I asked the question, I thought that it really might be more of the biathlon because it's just, there's so much, but it sounds like that might be more, Compelling to you with you know skiing and shooting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess like from a mental challenge, biathlon definitely has that, and I think that's what I like of it. It's it's like when you're shooting, you're trying to master your mind, and also you know there's there's obviously like the the skill to it, the practice of it. Um, yeah, kind of like how how can you hold the rifle all those different things but a lot of it at least for me is really mental of like am I in the right mental space when I'm going into the range to be able to shoot well um yeah so I think that that's an appealing challenge whereas the bike is hard for me because it's maybe it's it's the one I enjoy the least training <laughs> so that's why the heart it's the hardest.
0: That is interesting. Can you describe what you go through in a biathlon like how much you ski and then how you get into your shooting position and, and how that has to work and like dropping your heart rate all those things?
1: Yeah so it I guess it depends on the race of how much we're skiing but it it's somewhere between like 2k to 2.5k the loops that we're doing um before you come into the shooting range and and yeah you kind of pick out on the course all right like when when is the spot on the course where you're going to start transitioning our coach says like when are you going to transition from being a skier to a shooter so maybe it's like 100 meters out from the shooting range you really start like okay I'm going to back off my pace skiing gonna really focus on my breath and try to get on in the breathing rhythm that i'm gonna have when i'm shooting kind of think about mentally like all right what's my shooting process whatever your cues are to kind of get mentally in the right spot um and then yeah we we pull up to the mat the shooting mat um and we'll have a coach that's there they have our rifle um and then I'll tip over so I'm in the sit ski and I tip over and I'll get on my stomach and they pass off the rifle to me.
0: So you have your ski behind you then so you're you're completely on your stomach, you're not lying on your side.
1: Yeah, so I flip down on my side and then kind of like swing my skis around behind me so then I end up on my stomach. Yeah.
0: It's a bit of a contortionist move.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some practice. You got to be stay flexible to do that. Um Yeah. And so then you get handed the rifle, you kind of, we wear, while we're shooting, we have um, a cuff on our arm. And then, so you clip the rifle into that cuff and that just helps you stabilize the rifle. Um, And then yeah, you look through the sights and kind of line it up with the target. We have five targets um, that you hit every time you go into the shooting range. And a lot of it, I think a lot of people think that you know you're sitting there waiting for your heart rate to come down um but really like that's just not going to happen we practice to be shooting with a high heart rate and so for What's me high the, heart rate i would say typically when i'm shooting it's probably about like 160 or so okay so if like my max heart rate is around like 1 175 or so so it's not really that much off of your max, it's down a little bit, but not a ton. Um, so really, it's about like getting in your breathing rhythm, and then when you're breathing, it kind of moves your rifle, so you can line up with the target and kind of get on that center center of the target um, and shoot. So, yeah, that I mean, that's that's kind of, I guess, the process of it. And then you go through. We have the five targets. And then as soon as you're done with the five, you just kind of like sit yourself back up as quickly as you can and go out and ski as as fast as you can. So that's like, you want to practice getting really efficient of like getting down quickly, getting set quickly and getting
0: back up quick. Are you able to forget what happened in the range when you go out and ski? I mean, if you, if you make all five, you're like, okay, I'm great. If you miss all five, Are you beating yourself up? How does, how does this work? are you just back focusing on skiing?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, if you missed all five, I think it would be pretty hard not to be thinking about that. Um, but yeah, you try to like the, the, our sports psychologist that we work with in the winter, he, it's called the penalty loop. So if you miss a shot, you usually have to ski around the penalty loop, however many shots you miss. And so he always says, call it the reset loop. And so you're using that to kind of like mentally reset yourself, get ready to see the next loop, but then also get in the right mindset for the next shooting stage. Um, And yeah, I think for me, a big thing is trying to think about it more from less from like a fear perspective so if I come into the range and I'm thinking like okay I can't miss I can't miss I can't miss more times than not like I end up missing something but if I if I think like okay I can do this or like I've done it before then then just having that confidence and backing yourself it's it's amazing it's like you're just it's words you're speaking in your head it's not actually changing your process but it it seems to have an effect.
0: So you've been so successful over a variety of different sports. What do you consider to be your greatest strength?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess like being able to do all of them, the adaptability of it. And, um, uh, I don't know. I think as an endurance sport athlete, you just kind of have to have like a little bit of like grit to you where you're willing to just like put in that hard work and I think yeah regardless of the sport the the biggest thing is just the work that it requires and so if you kind of have that grit and the determination to put in the hard work then um yeah that's that's kind of like baseline (laughs) what you need
0: well we were we were in an event in April right and they did a video with you and your parents and I feel like I remember your parents saying that you were the the daughter that you or the child that they had to make sure like went to bed like stopped studying yeah this kind of thing (laughs) have you always had that grit and if so where did it come from
1: yeah I think so uh I don't know I guess I guess like for me in school it was always like well like I know I can get the answer to this math problem I just have to like do the work to get there and so I I think that was like I was never just going to go to sleep because like there was work still left to be done um and and yeah so I think that mindset kind of translates over as an athlete like yeah you kind of yeah just the idea of like okay I just have to put in the work and like that that's what you do. And you just, you keep putting in the work till you get there.
0: Well, I mean, it seems like you've, you've put in a lot of work. You've had a lot of success. Uh, we wish you great success in the future. Thank you so much for joining us, Kendall.
1: Yeah. Thank you. This is great. This is really fun.
0: Good, good. Well, I hope you enjoy it and and good luck as the season progresses. We'll be waiting to hear as you continue to build toward that, toward that final race of the year. Uh, but thanks so much. This has been awesome. And thank you all for tuning in. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, please tell your friends, please tell other people to tune in. We'll have another great guest next week. This will be a traditional podcast. And when it's published as a podcast, please follow us, please like us, and we will continue to bring you great content. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye.